Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. I don't know the first thing about investing my money, and it is all so overwhelming, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I love that Acorns makes it so easy and how you don't need a lot of money to get started. So head to acorns.com creepers or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com creepers. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC, Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. And like junior high, I don't know where I got off thinking that this was appropriate, but I would like do a bubble bath and I would like get rose petals no. and put them in the bathtub. I mean, obviously I didn't have a car, so my mom was getting them for me. <laughs> And I would like put them in the bathtub when I was like 12 or 13. Yeah, like what the? (laughs) And I had a CD player. You know how you could put the button that would like repeat the song? You say Backstreet Boys and I'm like in a bubble bath, rose petals, candles, crying about my junior high boyfriend at like 13. (laughs) Obviously I turned out fine, but you know, it was a hard road. That That wasn't a good look. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Yay! This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. 
In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. So today we are continuing the story of the murder of Lacey Peterson and diving into the conviction of Scott Peterson. Well, thank God, because literally it's all I can think about since we first talked about this. And since I'm not allowed to watch the documentary or anything else, you are truly my only source. (laughs) I'm ready for this part two. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. So I just want to do a quick recap of the timeline just to get everyone back up to speed. So Scott says the morning of December 24th, 2002, his wife, Lacey, woke up earlier than him, maybe around seven, ate breakfast so she wouldn't get sick as she often did because she was eight months pregnant. She then got on the computer between 8.40 to 8.45 a.m. and looked up the weather and then got on two shopping websites, one for a red gap scarf and one for a sunflower umbrella stand. Why? Ugh. <laughs> she, she loves sunflowers. She even has like a sunflower tattoo on her. So I don't know. I need to see this sunflower umbrella stand. We also have to remember this is like the early aughts. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> Lacey told Scott she was planning on walking the dog that day, then going to the store and running some errands for Christmas brunch the next day. Lacey and Scott watched an episode of Martha Stewart together around 9.30, and then Scott left for his warehouse at about 10. At his warehouse, he checked his email, sent an email, looked up instructions on how to put together this like woodworking tool, which he then actually put together, or at some point he did that. A little after 11, he hooked his boat up to the truck, took the hour and a half drive to the Berkeley Marina where he fished for about an hour from like one to two. When he got home, Lacey wasn't there, and he says he assumed she was at her parents' house. He took his clothes off from fishing, started the washing machine, and took a shower. He talked to Lacey's stepdad and realized she was not with them. And 911 was called to report Lacey missing. Police were at his house by 6 p.m. that night. So that is kind of what Scott says happened the day she went missing. And throughout the trial, it was shown that every single thing that he told them about his activities that day checked out to like the smallest detail. Like this was not a rote story that he had memorized and then told over and over and over again. He was telling different people various pieces of this day that all fit together with no contradictions, backed up by things at the house. So... I I don't know. I still feel like no one is fishing in (laughs) December in California. It's freaking cold. Mm, I don't know. Okay. You think you did it? Well, I was, you know, the way we, the way we left the first episode, I kind of felt like, yes, he did it. Yeah. I don't know. And keep keep telling me. Okay. I will. Cause I want to make one thing clear. Like I, I have an opinion. I don't actually know if he's guilty or innocent. I, I, 
think that the evidence points in a specific direction. So I'm not trying to like really convince you of anything. I'm just trying to like give you the information that I have. No, let me tell you what you're trying to do. You're trying to make my life where I'm over here. I don't know about these stories. I'm sleeping good at night. Like everything is fine in my world. And you're like, "Mm, let me tell you about all these things that keep me up at night. And then here I am with you. You, we can have an anxiety disorder together. <laughs> yeah, I was fine. <sighs> um, when we left off in part one, Scott had been arrested in San Diego after the police had discovered Lacey and Connor's body washed up on the shore of the San Francisco Bay, the same bay that Scott had been fishing in. The media has lost its mind, and now it's time for jury selection. Ooh, you know, that's like a real-life game of like, guess who? Remember the game where you would like <laughs> pop the people down? Like, are you wearing a hat? It's and like, um, have you ever heard of Scott Peterson? Yeah. Okay. Everybody down. We got to start do over. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Scott is guilty? Half of them down. Because <laughs> that's really what happened. Like this jury selection is problematic. First of all, 50% of the potential jurors admitted on the questionnaire that they thought he was guilty. It was so hard to find jurors that would even say they'd be willing to give him a fair trial. Also, the judge in this case made the decision to excuse any juror that said that they were personally opposed to the death penalty. So That seems like a problem. It's, it's a huge problem because what's supposed to happen is you ask the juror, like, you know, what are your feelings on the death penalty? And if they say that they're opposed... You're supposed to ask them a follow-up question and say, okay, knowing that it's the law in California, would you be able to apply the law and consider the death penalty in sentencing? And if they say yes, you're not supposed to be able to dismiss them because what happens is you wind up with a jury full of people that are far more likely to come back with a death sentence. They're going to be like, yeah, let them fry. And that's unconstitutional. Exactly. Right. And let me just tell you, this jury is bananas. (laughs) B-A-N-A-N-A-S. I think out of the 12 jurors, there were actually like 14 or 15 because there were several replacements. There were probably like four or five that were actually decent people. And several of those decent people would be dismissed before the verdict was decided. The trial of Scott Peterson begins on June 1st, 2004. And the courthouse has to create a lottery to give out seats for the public to come because so many members of the public wanted to see this trial. I mean, Um, I would have put my name in that lottery. I'm just going to say. I mean. (laughs) We all know you would, obviously. Yeah. I obviously didn't know this was happening. So. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the state's case was basically they admitted that they had no idea how he did it or where he did it. They just knew that he did it. and Solid case. case. (laughs) Real solid. Mm -hmm. The crux of the case was that Scott did not want to be a father. So instead of divorce, he chose murder. And then to be with his mistress who had children. Was a mother, right. They said that to fit with the timeline, Scott most likely killed Lacey the night before she officially went missing, the night of December 23rd. They Uh think he smothered her to death, wrapped her in a tarp, and put her in the bed of the truck. The next day, he went to the warehouse, put her in the boat, attached anchors to each of her limbs and around her neck, and then shoved her body over the side of the boat in the San Francisco Bay. 
Wait, the night before? The night before. Yeah. He could have done it the night before. And then when people saw him like loading the umbrellas and stuff. Okay. I didn't expect you to like jump on this night before theory. So let's go into what was happening (laughs) the night before. I'm sorry. Do you not know me? Like I've made my decision. I'm a Taurus. Like I will find any reason to fight you to change my opinion. I'm also a Taurus. Oh yeah. (laughs) We've had joint. We have. Remember when I, (laughs) I may or may not have wrecked your girl on your birthday. (laughs) Do you remember that? I I absolutely remember that. Okay, so the night before, he and Lacey had gone to her sister Amy's salon because Amy was a hairdresser, and he cut Scott's hair and then showed Lacey how to do this, like, little curling iron flip in her hair. It's very complicated. (laughs) And her sister confirmed that this happened. Her sister also confirmed what she was wearing that night, which was not what she was wearing when her body was found. So then Scott says he invited her, he invited Amy to come over to their house for pizza afterwards and Amy couldn't come. So she already had plans. So they picked up a pizza on the way home, watched like football and then watched the rookie and then went to bed. And Lacey was wearing pajamas that were found in the hamper on top of the hamper the next day. So the physical evidence looks like the the circumstantial evidence would support that she was killed after she woke up that day. Mm. And why would Scott invite Amy over for pizza? Okay, well, I was with you until you threw in a pizza party and no one (laughs) wants to kill the buzz of a pizza party with a murder, so I suppose. But I was thinking the pajamas and stuff like doesn't do a whole lot for me. Like it just it just supports the story is all. Yeah. It's not proof of anything. It's just he said this is what happened. And then they found things that supported that story. Uh, And, you know, the first few weeks of the trial went really well for the defense, starting with opening statements. So the prosecution's opening statement made this huge deal about Scott lying to the police about watching Martha Stewart the morning that Lacey disappeared because of- Meringue. (laughs) Right. Because, of course, they're trying to say that, like you- trying to say that he was killed, that she was killed the night before. And Scott said they watched the show together. And yeah, uh, Martha was talking about cookies and meringue. So the prosecution said that no such episode aired that morning. So he completely lied. They presented this as their opening statement. So then the defense, (laughs) then the defense brought out the tape (laughs) of the episode that had aired the morning of Christmas Eve and during their opening statements played the clip to the jury of Martha talking about cookies and meringue. I'm just picturing, sorry, you know that scene in Mean Girls? I'm just picturing Martha's really like, don't bring me into this. I got a pitch on Sunday. (laughs) Oh, God. I was like, what the hell? The jury was very surprised. It was a great opening for the defense. And it made the prosecution just look like idiots. Like, yeah, did they not watch at all? It's like they hadn't (laughs) even bothered to watch the tape and just assume that he was lying. And that was it. And then put it in their opening statements. (laughs) Thank God. (sighs) Yikes. Throughout the first few weeks, it seemed like they were scoring a lot of points with the jury. And the defense was impeaching nearly every witness that the state put up, which means they were successful in attacking the accuracy and credibility of the witnesses' statements. 
This was a really long trial. So I'm just going to hit the highlights here. First off, the state presented zero forensic evidence implicating Scott in this crime. 0.0. Opinion time. You should not be able to sentence someone to death with no forensic evidence. Convict them of guilt, sure. Maybe a, a life sentence. That's, you know, but if the circumstantial evidence is compelling enough, but I do not think that you should be able to sentence someone to death unless there is irrefutable proof, undeniable proof. I like right now. Sure. I think maybe he did it. Well, I'm like on the fence. One, I think he's a terrible human and a total cheater and loser and someone (laughs) who has a face you want to punch, obviously. Two, I think he maybe did it, but either way, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying he, should get the death penalty if there is zero evidence like my biggest problem with this is that they didn't find any dna of no blood anything in the vehicle he transported the body in like right great now i'm now i'm contradicting myself i'm like he did it no (laughs) (laughs) what i say goes yeah i don't know what i think i just think i'm confused (laughs) that's what i think it well and i can relate it's consumed my every waking thought and it's like did he do it did he not did he do it did he not this has been rent free in my head for a while then there was this computer forensic analyst that was supposed to be a prosecution witness but on the stand he really turned into a witness for the defense i i honestly don't know what the prosecution was trying to prove with the computer forensics because it all just backs up scott's story that he told them that's not um, what you want. That's no. not what you want when you call someone to the stand. No. So in his testimony, he detailed the internet use of the Peterson house and warehouse. The prosecution was saying that they thought Scott killed her the night before on December 23rd. The prosecution mm-hmm. and you. But someone well, was- Until I knew there was a pizza party. <laughs> I mean, until I knew there was a pizza party. Right. But someone was on the computer looking up sunflower umbrella stands and women's clothing from 8.40 to 8.45 a.m. on the 24th. Um, Which I still think is Scott because those two items sound kind of terrible. Okay. (laughs) That's what the prosecution tried to say. That it's, oh, (laughs) it's Scott trying to cover up for the fact that she was already dead by searching for stuff on the computer that Lacey would have been searching for. Only... When he was detailing his events of that day, he never once told police that Lacey was on the computer. If he had gotten on there and searched stuff up like, oh, what can I do to make it look like Lacey was still alive? He's on there searching stuff up. Wouldn't he say like, no, Lacey was still alive that morning. Go look at the computer. You'll see that she was on the computer from, you know, in the morning looking up stuff. But I wouldn't be looking up a woman's scarf, you know, whatever. He didn't even know she'd been on the computer. That's just what the analyst found when he was going into their internet activity. And I feel like early 2000s, I wouldn't have even known that was a thing. Like now I'm like, yeah, you can look up what someone's doing, but I wouldn't have even thought of that back then. No, I don't think I would have either. Early 2000s, this is like, I had only had the internet for three years, four years. I mean... It was like fairly recently in homes. Then the prosecution changes their theory to say, well, now we think she was murdered on the 24th. So everybody just calm down. (laughs) So now they're back with us. We don't actually know anything. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how. We don't know how. We just know he did it. 
So the defense is just knocking down every single point the prosecution brings up, and they are knocking them down good. Like even the media was starting to backtrack at this time. They kept waiting for evidence that Scott did it, but it wasn't happening. The lead detective testified for four days, at one point testifying that Scott had told him a lot of truths. Like that's a direct quote. He told him a lot of truths. And it finally ended with him admitting that after exhaustive searches, they'd found nothing to incriminate Scott. They were convinced the murder happened in the house, but there was no evidence of a crime occurring in the house or of a crime being cleaned up. Manual strangulation is a possibility. It wouldn't result in a huge mess like other kinds of murder that could have been committed. And if Scott did it, it's likely that that's how. But if it is, it means he was able to do it without any defensive wounds. Yeah. So like maybe while she was sleeping and then she didn't wake up, like there was no scratch marks on his arms. I don't know how long her fingernails were. But Nothing still, like that. there would have been something, I feel like, because he called the police like that night. You know, it's not like he waited for like a bruise or a scratch to heal up or. Right. And I don't know if he was wearing short sleeves, but I feel like they would have like. <sighs> Great. Listen to me. Here I go. all these reporters keep going on and on about how this is a common sense crime. Like, duh, he did it. It's just common sense. And I'm like, am I taking crazy pills? Like there's nothing common sense about it. There's holes in every single argument. You want to talk about Amber Fry? You want to talk about finding the bodies? You want to talk about the boat? You want to talk? I can poke holes in every single one of those. And I'm like, I don't see the common sense anywhere. And I have been going insane. You're like, I'm not an attorney. Yeah, I mean, it's... The prosecution tried to prove Scott used cement anchors to weigh down Lacey's body. They found concrete in his warehouse, and Scott said he'd made a concrete anchor in his shop, and they found one there. Like, I'm talking a bucket filled with cement with a rope, you know? Right, yeah. Prosecution... I do know. So the prosecution puts up this image of the warehouse and this, like, table, and they're like, you can see here that he made four more anchors. Look at this picture. You can see that there were four anchors here. And I'm looking at this picture and I'll post it on our Instagram at Creepers Pod. And you can tell me, listeners and MoGab, if you see the evidence of the four anchors because I see nothing. Are they saying that he made all of those for Lacey's body? Correct. Okay. Well, that is impossible because... You were telling me that there are now two people in this aluminum bottom boat with all this cement. Like, that boat will be at the bottom. You cannot put that, like, you cannot have all of that. You can't have that many anchors on a jump boat. Like, it's not going to hold all that. It doesn't even make any sense. Right. Um, and I'm not a fisher woman. <laughs> I'm sending you the picture that was used to show all the evidence of all these anchors evidence wait is this for real yes (laughs) that's the picture i don't do you see all these other like (laughs) i see no evidence my question is they have all these other like little number plates like where other things would be and it looks like just like cement powder this is stupid this is stupid there's one anchor in this photo and regardless like i said you wouldn't be able to take four or five cement anchors an eight-month pregnant woman and 
a man, a grown man on a John boat. Yeah. And those little numbers are like just showing parts of the table. Like, look, this is where an anchor was. This is where an anchor was. That's like an assumption. It's just like a dirty table. Like a dirty table (laughs) with the one anchor on it that he had made. Like that's his one anchor. And then like somebody lifting it out of the bucket. I can't believe like real professionals are like, there are five anchors in this photo and there's nothing. And like that episode of Martha Stewart was not about cookies. And like, I, I just don't understand like getting fired up. I, I'm like, how can you, okay. How can you not take that picture and say, okay, you are really trying to find evidence to support your theory here. You're not actually looking at this objectively. You're seeing what you want to see. You're seeing evidence of anchors on a table and all you're seeing stuff that's not even there. All all I see is a dirty table. I do not see this evidence. There was concrete missing. He had this like big bag of concrete and there Mm -hmm. was concrete missing from the bag that would have been more than he'd need to use to make that one concrete. Yeah. He spilled it all over this damn table. (laughs) It's dirty. Well, and he says that he used some of it to fill in like muddy patches in his driveway. And (laughs) Nancy Grace made a huge deal about (laughs) my girl. Here she she is. What'd she have to say? Okay. Well, she said that Scott must've been lying because how ridiculous would it be to fill a hole in the driveway with dry cement and pray to the rain gods that it will rain and mix with the cement? Something tells me he might've just watched the weather channel, but. So she, this other journalist, Richard Cole, who had been on her show pretty frequently, like kind of defending Scott, he, t- he took Nancy Grace to the Peterson home. They're looking at the driveway. He sees patches along the side of the driveway that were just like sprinkled concrete, loose, loose concrete that had been used there. And he showed Nancy. Nancy walks over, peers down at it and goes, huh. And then just (laughs) never, never mentioned it on her show again, this concrete. (laughs) Didn't once bring that up. No more praying to the rain gods for Scott Peterson. No retraction either. You know, no, it was like not. she had never said it. That also makes more sense. Like the edge of a driveway, not just like a pothole in the middle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're not like paving it. You're just yeah. like, I don't want this to get, you know, worse. Pray to the rain gods. In part one, we went a lot into how Scott's behavior was made a big deal of. And look, I'll admit the guy did not do himself any favors. Yeah. yeah. He sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Francois and Pascal probably agree. <laughs> Forgot about them. <laughs> However, if you watch Scott's interrogation tape, he was very cooperative. He answered all their questions. And like I said, everything he told them checked out. Like he would say, Lacey was uh, eating breakfast. And they would say, oh, what, she, what was she eating? And he would tell them what she was eating. And they would say, he would say, oh, we, and then we watched on TV. Oh, what were you watching? Oh, we were watching um, Martha Stewart. Oh, what was the episode about? And he just would tell them the answers. He wasn't like, well, first she got up and she ate Fruit Loops. And then uh, she got on the computer and looked up scarves and umbrellas. And then we watched Martha Stewart together. It was an episode where she was talking about. Co- no, it wasn't. Yeah, it like wasn't that. rehearsed. The cops were asking him these questions and he had answers to every question because it actually happened. 
Like it's very hard to keep a story straight like that when you're not just like, you can have a story lined up in your head and tell them all the details. You know, that's not that hard, but to have this story that wasn't very detailed and then give them details as they're asked for it. And then also for those details to then be backed up. So let me explain that. For example, what Lacey ate for breakfast that was backed up with receipts from her trip to the grocery store the day before. He said that she was curling her hair that morning to try to do it how her sister had showed her the night before when they'd gotten their haircut at her salon. And the yeah. police found her curling iron on the bathroom sink with the cord stretched to the outlet like it had just been plugged in. And the bench, there was this bench that she'd moved into the bathroom so she could sit down while she looked at herself in the mirror, tried to curl her hair. The housekeeper testified that neither of those things, the bench or the curling iron, had been in the bathroom the day before when she'd cleaned. So, or Scott Peterson moved the bench in there and the curling iron. And why are you looking at me like that? Okay. So first of all, what he... He's going to have the foresight to move the bench into the bathroom like he's killed his wife. If he murdered someone, I feel like he might be like, oh, shit. No. I need to maybe. Okay, but is that a detail that you would have had to provide? Like you could have just said, you know, or like maybe put the curling iron out. But then why yeah. are you putting that out? In ju- and she had just had her hair cut the day before. Like it makes sense that she would be there in the morning curling her hair like Scott was going to figure that out. This is the same guy who made up Francois and Pascal (laughs) in his lie about the Eiffel Tower. And you're going to tell me that he was able to concoct this whole story and back it up with receipts and and all this like evidence that shows that it happened, but he staged it all? But then, okay, wait, he stages this whole thing, but then he tells the police that he was fishing. Where he okay. was dumping her body. <laughs> well, I kind of forgot how terrible of a liar he like, was with the whole <laughs> Eiffel Tower business. He had but... kind of been set up to be able to say that he was golfing. Like he'd told several people he had plans to go golfing that day. Mm-hmm. He says he changed his mind that morning because it was too cold to go golfing. Which still doesn't make any sense. <sighs> I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a golfer or a fisher. So like, I don't know. Yeah, but you, know? you get in on water and then go where there's like wind because you know like now there's a motor and you're like going you know like yeah at a, high, at a guess, faster speed than you would walking <laughs> but like course. aren't people always cold when they're fishing i don't know you always see people out yeah. there with the with the jacket i don't know i don't know you know i don't do anything if it's below 70 degrees <laughs> i mean good god me either and you live in kentucky so that's yeah tougher. that's a lot tougher for you than for me in houston so anyway i Look, I I don't buy. I just can't get to Scott staged this whole thing, but he wasn't smart enough to make up an alibi for himself. And I guess like it'd be di- I guess I would feel differently about him like staging the house if there was a crime scene at the house or they had found something at the house or like you know, I guess it doesn't seem probable perhaps to stage this whole scene at the house if it, the you know, he's out fishing and dumped her body in the lake river what is it lake it's a bay yeah the bay Bay. okay yeah you've got to look real hard at it through the scott is guilty lens you've got to be looking really hard at it because to me who again doesn't have a dog in this fight like i don't care if he's guilty or innocent i just want to know i want to know so that we can get justice for lacy who gets lost in this whole thing because we're sitting here figuring out if scott kills her but and not really focusing on the victim. So I would Mm -hmm. like to know 
if we got justice for Lacey or if her right. murderer is still out there, her and Connor. I the just, problem is so many people are looking through it, looking at it through the Scott is guilty lens because like you said, the media had a field day and like once someone's mind is made up, they're not going to be like, oh, I was presented with all this new information. I made a mistake. I actually think this. So now people are going to do anything they can to fit this like square peg in their round hole to corroborate in their head like what they think because they're not now going to go back and say like I had a lot of misinformation from all these sources and what I think really happened like people now are just stuck yeah. on I guarantee that. you I guarantee you at least some of the people that I have talked to that are convinced that Scott is guilty it's because they watched a whole lot of Nancy Grace <laughs> why did he leave his pregnant wife alone on Christmas Eve but but like for real though like that does because he sucks because he's an asshole but or like you said Lacey is like I got a lot of shit to do I don't need your punchable face around here <laughs> yeah if anyone's wondering how the holidays are going in my house it's uh do you mind I've got like all the stuff to do so bye so Brocchini the lead detective was known as a guy that could find evidence he wrote down quotes from witnesses that they never said he excluded information that could have helped Scott he wanted to show that neither Lacey nor her family knew anything about Scott buying this fishing boat because he bought it like at the beginning of December. Like he hadn't had it very long. And he wanted to show that Lacey had never been to Scott's warehouse. But there was a witness that said she saw Lacey at the warehouse the day before she went missing on the 23rd. and right, had to let- the bathroom. Yes. And Brokini redacted that from his police report. So what? I'm just saying he's not above doing things so that it fits his theory. And if Scott was trying to hide the boat, like we talked about this a little bit last time, but he was doing a really terrible job of hiding it because he purchased the boat completely legally in his name with his documents or with documents with money from their joint account that he took out to pay for it. And also he told the police that first night that he had taken the boat out fishing. Why would he try to hide it from his family, but not the police? So I didn't, I don't think I knew that it was money from their joint account. No, I didn't say that last time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So duh, it wasn't a secret. Also, I just don't know. Again, I know that I keep going back on what I originally thought, but I don't know that I would like buy this brand new shiny toy and then make that the like vessel of dumping my like the body of the person, you know, my wife that I murdered, because I feel like that would be where people would like assume, or I wouldn't use like buy that and then be like, yeah, this is where I was that day. I, like if that's really what you did, I don't that's know. My thing, why are you telling the police you were there? So you went through, like I said, you went through all this trouble to stage the house so that it looked like she was still alive, but you don't bother to make sure you have an alibi for that day. Yeah, like you didn't, you went fishing by yourself. Also, this is something that I don't have in my notes, but I read about that Scott was in fertilizer sales. He had access to these large farms. Can he just bury it? Like, doesn't he just have tons of dirt? He could have, he had, yeah. So he could have just gone out there and, and buried her. And instead of this whole in the middle of the day, going out to the bay in a tiny little boat, where anybody looking in would see a body, except nobody did. Anyway, I also don't understand dumping bodies and bodies of water like they always wash up. 
I'm not understanding why people. Well, Mogab, he had four cement anchors. Okay, as I've previously stated, <laughs> that is impossible. The prosecution was going down and everything was looking really good for the defense. Until- they were going down like a boat with four cement anchors or? <laughs> they were going down oh. like a boat with four cement anchors until 11 weeks into the trial when Amber Fry shows up to testify. I forgot about her. <laughs> His affair with Amber lasted six weeks and Scott saw her a total of four times. Amber came on the stand as a character witness. Like she was there not to prove anything, just to show that they, that when Scott was asked if they had marital problems and he said no, that he was lying because he was having this affair and to show a motive. But she basically ended up being the prosecution's entire case. This case was really all about his character anyway, which we already established. He's right. He's a cheater. He's a liar, liar, pants on fire, loser. Right. With a face you want to punch. Amber was made into a victim as well as a witness, a victim of Scott's lies. I don't have anything against Amber Fry, really. I don't think she really did anything wrong because I really do believe that she didn't think that he was married. But my issue is how the state was able to use this affair to prove murder. Those two are not the same thing. But yeah, yeah, it's a really bad look for Scott. So they showed pictures of Scott and Amber. They played the recordings from when Amber's phone was tapped. Amber came across extremely credible. And Scott came across as the biggest liar of all time. It just looks so bad. On the recordings, he calls Lacey the girl I'm married to. Ew. I know. Instead of cringy. my wife, I know. The girl, the girl I'm, married, I'm to. married to. Like Ooh, It's not great. Like Him telling Amber his wife had died before they met and this was going to be his first holidays without her, like... It looks really bad. Yeah. Oh, I didn't like that either. One juror said he saw it as proof that Scott wanted this lifestyle, the prosecution said. No baby, no wife. But again, I go back to, okay, he doesn't want a baby, but he's having an affair with a single mom. And she said that he was great with her two-year-old daughter. In the recordings, because, yeah, I read all the transcripts (laughs) from the court. From the trial. Of course you did. Yeah. In, no in the recordings, he asks her about her daughter a lot. He seems really interested in like how she was learning to talk and things like that. Like it almost seems like things that he was looking forward to his baby doing. And I mean, I, I'm just not buying the whole Scott didn't want to be a dad thing. Like if he killed Lacey, yeah. it, I, I'm just not buying that that was the motive, that he didn't want a baby. But these tapes could not have been more damaging. They didn't prove anything about murder or motive, but man, it made it look it made him look like such an asshole and like somebody that didn't care about Lacey at all. He's mm. constantly telling Amber she's beautiful and he's interested in her and he cares about her. And I mean, he's telling her this right after talking about his sister going on Larry King to talk about his missing wife. Oh. And of course it also proved that he had lied to the police, that when the police had asked that they had marital problems, he said no, that he was lying. But I, again, I think he's a jerk, but I don't know that that was a lie to him. Like if this affair was a secret to Lacey, she didn't know, they probably aren't having any problems. Like they probably aren't fighting. They probably aren't at odds. Like they may just be going through the motions or they may be fine. But like he probably is not at odds with her. And so I'm sure he's saying like, no, we didn't have any issue because she didn't know that I was cheating on her. You know, like 
Okay. They weren't fighting it out about it. I'm I'm really glad that you said that because I, I kind of had the same thought. Your relationship with Lacey is probably great because you're getting along fine and and you know, you're probably doing extra to like you're probably covering up this affair, so you're probably going out of your way to like be the doting husband and right. the dad and like bring. I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but like. You might be laying it on extra thick to cover your ass. Right. I don't know what he was doing either, but I do know that not a single person in their life thought that they were having problems. Like everything <sighs> seemed fine to everybody outside. Nobody had any idea of this affair. So great. That's it's terrifying, possible but... that he was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Scott tries to explain the affair today saying like he was weak and vain, but it didn't have anything to do with him not loving Lacey, which like, ew, thanks. Mm-hmm. I hate it. <laughs> Thanks. I hate it. Yeah, same. (laughs) Now, there are a few things that did not make it into the trial that I think could have made a huge difference to the jury. First was a witness at the marina who said that he saw Scott there. He saw in his boat and he did not see a body. And again, Mm. we will put a picture of this boat on there, but it is a little John boat. You cannot hide a body in this thing. So if you're Seeing him in the boat, you're going to see the body. During the trial, that witness was in Puerto Vallarta, and Scott's attorney chose not to ask him to come back to testify. Um, he could have <laughs> I mean, had him. I wouldn't want to leave Puerto Vallarta either. But. No, I'm sure the guy wouldn't have wanted to leave, but the guy asked, hey, do you need me to come back? And his attorney was like, nah, we got this. Nah, we good. And I think that was a huge mistake. They're paying a million dollars for this guy, okay? This is not some podunk court-appointed yeah. attorney. Like, this is, like, one of the best defense attorneys out there. This uh, isn't when they're like, if you can't afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. That's <laughs> not who they're talking about. <laughs> no. This is one of the best defense attorneys in the country. I know I know, you said that in the first episode about mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. but I forgot until you just said it. I really can't believe that he... Didn't Charged. win this. Oh, that he didn't win. And like, I'm really shocked. I know it's like all the media stuff, but like you just saying that again, I was like, oh my God. Like it didn't matter who they had. This guy didn't no. stand a chance. No. No. I he didn't. He didn't stand all. a chance. He had the best defense attorney in the country and no evidence against him. I wonder if he, he didn't knew stand that. a chance. I wonder if he knew that. Like I think he I knew. I think he one hundred percent knew. Yeah. Ugh. I I don't think his family did. I think his family, because when they were reading the verdict, when they were deliberating and they were like going to come back, they had announced that they'd come to a verdict and they were going to come back. His family was at lunch with the defense attorney and they were like, okay, so if he's found not guilty, like, how do you think we'll get him out of the courthouse? Like, how can we sneak him past that mob out front? And like, where should we take him to lunch? And, you know, like they were preparing Uh. to take him home. And so I don't think, I think. And like, I, I feel really conflicted right now having this, any like feeling or like sympathy towards him. And like, I think what happened to Lacey and Connor is the worst thing that like, like it'll probably keep me up again tonight. Like I feel really bad about that. And I think someone has murdered them. Obviously. I just also feel this sense of like, there could be the wrong person in prison. And that is also really sad because he is being convicted of this murder. And he also still lost. I mean, I get it. Maybe he didn't like really love her. I don't know. Like I'm feeling very conflicted and I don't like it. And it feels like, 
I just these emotional roller coasters every week. Like I know. Another thing that made it that did not make it into trial that I think would may have made a difference were all the witnesses that saw Lacey walking her dog the morning of Christmas Eve between oh. 10 30 and eleven thirty when Scott left for the warehouse at 10 o'clock. That's proven. I forgot about that. I feel like such an idiot with the night before thing. Wait, <laughs> how did wait, okay. I feel like an idiot. How did the prosecution not address like, oh, it happened the night before and like there was just another brunette, eight month pregnant, like person because that again, he paid to walk around the dog in the neighborhood. Like this didn't make it to the jury. The jury didn't oh. hear from any of these witnesses that saw them for several reasons. A key witness for the state was Karen Service that we talked about. The neighbor yes. who found the dog at 1018 the morning Lacey went missing, put her in the backyard and shut the gate. She was able to narrow down that time to almost that exact time because she had receipts of where she'd been before. So now Scott is a murderer and a terrible dog owner who just let his dog out while he's off dumping his wife's body. Yeah, that's a terrible offense there. Don't <sighs> even start on the dog train. So because of this, police dismissed people who saw Lacey walking her dog after 1018, but there were tons of these oh. witnesses, all of them independent of each other, all of them describing the same thing. And if you plotted each one out on a map of where they saw Lacey, they make a perfect trail going right back to the Peterson house. One of the witnesses was even able to identify a white spot on McKenzie and said she saw the dog at 1045. Because she's old? Is that why she's got white on her? No, I think no. I think she was just a spot. Oh. But but the police had this line of thinking that for the neighbor to be correct about her time, it must mean that all of these witnesses were wrong. But that's not true. Like you pointed out in part one, immediately you realized she could have been walking her dog after the neighbor put her in the backyard. How would they know? Because they didn't talk to any of them. <laughs> Right. <laughs> God. Dog and, and his hotshot lawyer thought that it would be easy to impeach all those eyewitnesses because they were pretty shaky on their timing. So he decided it was too big of a risk to put them on the stand. And it would have been a risk to bring these witnesses on. But I think it could have really made a difference. The, the jury never heard from them. And several jurors said they were waiting to hear from these witnesses that saw her walking her dog and they just never came. And I'm I think this so was, pissed. Yeah, I think this was a giant mistake Waiting. on the defense's part. Waiting. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. 
Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Okay, so in part one, I said that there was evidence found that makes it almost irrefutable that Lacey was walking the dog after 1018. And here's what that is. On a page, on a page that the defense never saw, was a handwritten note from a mailman named Russell Graybill, who delivers the Peterson's mail. At about 1045, he came to deliver the Peterson's mail, and he was able to determine that time because he's required to scan in the mail in the computer during his route. So he knew it was 1045. He came to deliver the Peterson's mail, and he noticed the gate was open. Remember, Karen's service had closed it at 1018. The gate was open, and Mackenzie wasn't barking at him like she usually does. He's very familiar with the dog because she barked at him every single day, no matter where she was in the house. She could be on the backyard. She could be in the living room. No matter where she was, she was, she was barking at him. I'm very familiar with that whole ordeal. <laughs> I know. How many times do we have to pause recording because we're like, Bert's about to bark. The trash is here. But on the 24th, Mackenzie did not bark. And he told the police this. This was 25 minutes after the neighbor put the dog back in the backyard. And when Scott is shown to be on his computer. Computer. At the warehouse. Looking up how to put together some tool. So who opened the gate, Mogab? Where is the dog? Wait, they, so this is a trick question. I feel like Lacey's on a walk. Not if she's not if Scott's dumping her body in the bay. Here's my question. Oh, wait, I think we know this. When Scott gets home from the bay, Mackenzie's in the backyard. So it's not like Mackenzie is gone after that. Yeah, so who shut the gate? Oh my God. Oh my God. Another neighbor who just decided never to come forward in the most high profile case of all time never came forward to say that they too put Mackenzie back in the backyard. It was the wind. All right. (laughs) And where's the dog? Why is McKinsey (laughs) not barking at the mailman? Look, I'm starting to maybe have some doubts. And look, my original the mailman fits all of these other witnesses that said they saw her making her walk around to her house. So here's the thing: it's either like ten people are all lying or mistaking her for some other super pregnant woman in black leggings and a white tunic, or they saw her after Karen put McKinsey in the backyard, after Scott had already left for his warehouse. And all these random strangers don't have like a reason to lie about seeing her walking the dog. They're all independently saying the same thing. Their times all kind of fit with each other. You know, Mm -hmm. as much as you can with eyewitnesses who aren't watching the clock while they're watching the lady walk in front of their house, you know. This also puts the burglars across the street in play because the neighbor called to report the burglary at 1140 that morning around the time that Lacey would have been getting home from walking McKenzie. She could have seen the burglars, put McKenzie in the back gate with her leash still on, and then gone up to confront the burglars, which lines up with what the burglars said. Listen. What do you mean they said? Listen to this. All right. What do you mean they said? Oh, my God. Listen, there's this guy, Lieutenant Aponte. I think he uh, he works at the jail. I'm not sure, like, if he's a security guard, if he's a cop, but they call him Lieutenant Aponte. He okay. hears a conversation between one of the burglars, whose name was Stephen Todd, and his brother when the brother came to visit Stephen in jail. All those, all those conversations are recorded. Right. Stephen 
told his brother that Lacey came over and confronted them about the burglary <gasps> and was yelling at them. This was after or around 1140, well after Scott had left for the warehouse. So tons of people saw her after Scott left, including these burglars. Wait, she went up like eight months pregnant and sis got all up in their grill. Yeah, because she's a badass bitch. Okay. Oh, my God. I know. Hello. Aponte had to call twice to get the Modesto police to call him back. He says he gave a copy of the tape to a police officer, but the officers say no one ever picked up a copy of this tape. The tape is now missing, and there's no record of the tape in evidence. Oh, that tape was picked up, and someone watched it and was like, this doesn't look good for us in our theory. And look, I would say, okay, that's a conspiracy theory. That's too far out there. If... This lead detective hadn't already been seen hiding evidence. He hid the evidence from the lady that saw Lacey at the warehouse and let her use the bathroom. He was just putting in things that witnesses said that they didn't really say. So I don't think that looking at that, that it's that far-fetched that he decided that tape didn't fit his narrative and it needed to go away. But that tape was exculpatory, meaning that it was evidence that could have swayed the jury into thinking that he was innocent. And all of this, at the very least, Leads to reasonable doubt. Yeah. At least to I just me. don't know how you can leave that stuff out. Like, how is this mean? Right. Well, and I don't think that it necessarily proves that the burglars were the ones that killed her. Sure. I don't know they if just I saw think, her. Yeah. I don't know if I, tr- I totally believe they had anything to do with her disappearance. I, they probably didn't. But it proves that she was there when Scott was on his way to the Berkeley Marina. He got there at yeah. 1254. It's an hour and a half drive. He was already on his way. Yeah, it doesn't prove who murdered her, but it proves who didn't, right? Yes, I think so. I guess it would really prove it if the freaking tape was still there. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess guess Lieutenant Aponte could have made this whole story up, too. I mean, I guess that's the other option. Yeah. All right, what else did the jury not get to hear? Because we're not done. Oh, The defense wanted to try and show that it's impossible to throw 150 pounds off Scott's boat without it tipping over. With all that cement, right? With all that cement. So they bought a similar boat and they ran several experiments. Like they would try to to do it all different ways, you know, in different areas of the boat, different parts of the boat, putting things different ways. They ran this experiment like five times each time they ran the experiment the the boat boat tipped over the boat tipped over and you know how i know that kristen (laughs) because i didn't want to tell this story on here but i will tell you i know that the boat tipped over because i may or may not one time was out fishing on a john boat and i had to pee and you know what a girl has to do when she has to pee you know what you do you have to lean your body over the boat and i am at this time, okay, maybe now I might be over 150. Who cares? Who's counting? But at the time, I, I wasn't. And I had to lean over the side of a boat. And I had another person, like, on the other side. And, like, and I also didn't have four cement anchors either. Because who does that? Whatever. I'm, I'm done with this trash. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. <laughs> you know what? So, wait, did the boat tip over? Yes. Well, like not all, like we didn't completely capsize like all the way over, but I fell over and some of our stuff did also. Why are you laughing at me? This is your fault. I have to tell the story for the people. (laughs) Oh Oh, my God. God. Yeah. So each time they ran the experiment, the boat tipped over as it did with you. (laughs) 
But the judge said they could not show the tapes of this experiment to the jury. Why? He, he said that the conditions weren't similar enough. <laughs> so. Okay. The judge did let the jury go look at the boat on land, like in a trailer, and the jury uh, got up there and like checked the stability of the boat, but it's like, it's on okay, land. On a trailer. On a trailer. Land. It's not in the water, so. Without a bodies in it and cement. <sighs> right. But what the judge <laughs> did allow into court was the testimony of the handler of a tracking dog. Oh, All right. Dog. The tracking dog's name is Trimble, and let's just get this out of the way. I'm sure he's the goodest boy you've ever seen in your whole life. Oh, the goodest and boy. I want to make it clear that none of this is Trimble's fault. Okay. Yeah, obviously. But You're, there is no. so much about dog tracking that is unreliable. In fact, they did a test of Trimble, like having him do similar tracking to what he did for Lacey. He was wrong 75% of the time. Oh, you little tracking dog dropout. I know. (laughs) Well, the handler that testified had 20 years of experience, and she said that Trimble hit on Lacey's scent on the boat ramp at the marina, and they presented this as proof positive that Lacey was there. Okay. Um, First of all, well, okay, first of all, what kind of dog is this? Uh, Trimble was a Labrador retriever. Oh, good God. Okay, I'm sorry. So a Labrador retriever hit on a scent at a boat ramp? You, uh, you're telling me a working dog in the winter when it's also duck, dove season, teal season, and, oh, I don't know, there's fish out there. You're telling me a working dog hit on a scent at a boat ramp, and that's what we're going with? That, that's, that's what we're going with. That's exactly what I'm telling you that they said at trial. And did it, did they take it anywhere else? Other boat ramps? Uh, I don't think so. No. I'm, I'm shook. <laughs> yeah. I think that using dogs to like find bodies or rescue people, like get, get families closure or rescue people. Great. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Using cadaver dogs as proof in a murder trial that a body was somewhere when there's no other evidence, you know, like the actual body. To corroborate this dog's testimony? No. I think it's actually ridiculous that they allowed this testimony in, to be honest. Yeah. And also, like, I am not saying that, look, tracking and hunting dogs are very well trained. Like, you can have a dog that does not go on a scent at these places, like a boat ramp or, like, you know, after a bird or something. Right. But uh, his stats aren't looking too good. Like his track record isn't great. I don't think that that's the dog I'm taking to a boat ramp to see if he's going to like hit on a scent when it's literally like at a boat ramp. That's Labrador Retriever Buffet. Right. Especially for a dog that has a 25% success rate. <laughs> for sure. The most compelling piece of evidence was finding the bodies in the same place that he'd been fishing. Oh, my God, because they literally alerted the townspeople. (laughs) Yeah, but without the bodies being where Scott had been fishing, Nancy Grace is like, he's fishing right over her dead body. You know? (laughs) You tell me he didn't kill her. He's fishing on top of her body. (laughs) My God. My God. Try arguing with her. Just try. Without the bodies being where Scott said he'd been, I don't think there's a chance that he would have been convicted or, or even arrested. They just wouldn't have had enough on him. 
This is usually what people talk about when they call it a common sense case. Like, he was fishing on top of her body. Yeah. Duh. He killed her. The end. Moving on. He was having an affair. Amber Fry. Fishing. (laughs) That's it. So the police are convinced she was weighed down with the homemade anchors that Scott made in his warehouse. Oh, Jesus Christ. We're still on that. (laughs) Yeah. Their theory is that each of her limbs and her head was weighed down with the homemade cement anchor and that due to the tidal action of the water, Connor had been expelled from her body and floated to shore. I'm going to vomit. I know. The tides then forced her body to disconnect with her limbs, eventually float to the top where she found, where she was found about a mile away. Here's the problem. Only her torso was found. (gasps) And... This is super gruesome, but it has to be said. Her internal organs were missing. Is that like because of a like fish shark thing? I don't know. Well, the, the best forensic pathologists say it doesn't even work that way. Like fish don't chew away bones and ligaments and organs. Okay. And the tides don't work that way either. So, okay, for everybody listening who thinks – that because her body was found in the San Francisco Bay where Scott was fishing, I'd like to ask you a question. Is it possible that someone other than Scott put Lacey in this body of water without just calling it a complete coincidence? Because I don't think it's a coincidence at all that she was found where he said he was. In fact, two days after Lacey went missing, they announced scott's alibi where he'd been in the san francisco bay and i think after that happened i don't think there was a chance that her body was going to be found anywhere but the san francisco bay whether scott did it or literally anybody else in the world did it there was nowhere else her body was going to wind up yeah that was like a perfectly packaged get out of jail free card for whoever did do this like oh god i'm so like 27 search teams went and searched the area that Scott was fishing for Lacey's body 12 days after she went missing and found nothing using technology like sonar to search for her. And I think it's possible that they found nothing because Lacey's body wasn't in the water when they searched. Her body wasn't found for months, like we said. Yeah. So if we look at it from the standpoint of innocent until proven guilty – Let's say someone took her while she was walking her dog, where all the neighbors saw her walking her dog. They kill her. Then, man, oh, man, what luck. They turn their TV on to any freaking channel and see the police telling them where Scott had been during the crime. What a perfect dumping ground. Let's put her there. And then the police had not closed off the marina. The police had not made sure nobody could get to the marina. Anybody was free to walk up there. And you didn't so it wasn't even, like, it was no like roped off crime scene yellow tape. No. And it wasn't even what? that you needed to go to a boat ramp. There were parts of the marina that just met up with the water. You could just walk up there places that weren't people around. You could just walk up there and throw the body in. I mean, it wasn't like you even had to have a boat. Literally anyone could have gone out and done this. I don't think that's an implausible explanation, but I want to hear from our listeners. Like, peeps and creeps, what do you think? Like, let us know. Email us. Tell us on Instagram or Facebook, at Creepers Pod. Like, do you think this is a crazy conspiracy that somebody else 
could have dumped that body in that bay? Or do you think it could only have been Scott? And because the bodies were found where he was fishing, he's obviously guilty. All right. Meanwhile, through this whole case, this jury is going bananas. (laughs) B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So there's a type of juror that can be common on these really high-profile cases called stealth jurors. These are people who lie so that they can get on the jury, and they usually have some kind of agenda. There were so many people that tried to get on this jury for the with the agenda of finding Scott guilty that were caught. One woman was like Ooh. bragging about, I passed the test, and said she couldn't wait to make Scott Peterson fry. Like, oh. Yeah. Like I said, that woman was caught, so she wasn't actually put on the jury, but I'm pretty sure there were at least, at least three, maybe four stealth jurors that made it to the jury, people that wanted on this jury bad so that they could convict Scott Peterson. And because it's like celebrity status, right? A little bit. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then we have all these jurors getting dismissed. Juror number five was Justin Falconer, and he was dismissed early on because he made a comment to a family member of Lacey's. Like, I think it was her brother. Everyone has to go through the same doors into the courthouse. And he was like right next to her brother when they were going through the security. And he made a comment like there were news cameras on them. And Justin said something like, oh, I'm blocking the shot for you. So you're not going to be on the news tonight. And the brother kind of laughed and was like, yeah, thanks, man. You know, and then they parted ways. And because of that comment, Justin was dismissed from this jury. And that doesn't seem that bad. Right. And they even said, like, you don't have to ignore the family. Like, you're not supposed to speak with them, but you can say hello. Like, you don't have to be weird. I just don't think there's that much difference between a comment like, oh, I'm blocking your shot, so you're not going to be on the news today. Ha ha. Then saying hello. Have a nice day. You know, I Uh, just. What's the details about the case? Right. But he was dismissed. And that was on camera, too, you know. Justin started speaking out publicly, and he said he would have found Scott not guilty based on what he'd seen so far because the prosecution hadn't given him any reason to find him guilty. Now, granted, this was also before Amber Fry, but I don't think that this guy would have been swayed by Amber Fry. I really don't. Yeah. People start sending him death threats, vandalizing his car, just total harassment. Like, this country was crazy. Okay. I have a conspiracy theory. Oh, I think the juror that wrote to the judge with concerns about Justin making the comment to the brother was a stealth juror that wanted Scott found guilty. And I'm pretty sure he was cleaning house, essentially. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was this guy, John, because he's a like just one of the worst people I've ever seen. You know, you say that every week. You're starting to get a list. Mm, You're right. (laughs) Oh, yikes. This guy's bad. He's up there. He's on my list. John, <laughs> you're on my list. I also think that it's possible that the rest of the jurors saw how Justin was treated when he said he thought that Scott wasn't guilty, how, how he got death threats for that. And I think mm-hmm. that that probably swayed their verdict some. Like it would have for made sure. it harder to go with not guilty because you know you would have been going against what the public wanted. And that can be really difficult. And if there's no benefit, like 
either the option is Scott Peterson walks free and your life is a living hell or, you know. The three jurors, I'm almost certain, were self-jurors that came on this jury with their minds made up, determined to convict Scott, were named John, Mike, and an alternate juror that came in really late to the game that was nicknamed Strawberry Shortcake. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, Strawberry Shortcake, and she's the worst. I can't tell if that's a joke or not. Like, It's not a joke. No, the media only referred to her as Strawberry Shortcake, which is why during this whole documentary, when I'm seeing her like talk about how she was really swayed by the dog testimony, and I'm thinking like, this juror is an idiot. But I didn't know she was really swayed by the Labrador retriever that was really excited at a fishing boat (laughs) ramp. Right, right, right. But I didn't know no that she was. Trimble, you're the goodest boy. The goodest boy. He's dead. I. Oh my I, god. <laughs> Stop. It's been 20 years. <laughs> I didn't know that she was strawberry shortcake this whole time because obviously that's not what's in her lower third on the documentary. Like they call her her name, which is Rochelle or something. So. <laughs> I didn't realize – Rochelle Niece, I think, is her name. But anyways, Mike was saying, you know, you don't have to know the method in which someone killed someone. You just have to have evidence that leads you to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that they murdered someone. And I just think that he and I have a different opinion on reasonable doubt. Yeah. And then there's this John guy. Ugh. (laughs) He's not a fan. He sucks. He says that because a couple of weeks after Lacey went missing, Scott ordered the Playboy channel. And then a couple of weeks after that, ordered porn. John says he's that's obvious he's a sex addict, which apparently also means you're a murderer. This guy does say, not man. understand the word reasonable. Watching and reading interviews with these jurors, it's very clear that this verdict was 100% based on emotion, vitriol and hate not facts or evidence they did not use facts or evidence for this case evidence so how did this jury of 12 come to a guilty verdict based on no evidence whatsoever let's talk deliberations let's so the jury comes in they take an initial vote right away and it was 10 to 2 think he's guilty so that's when the real deliberations begin Wait, were, was the jury sequestered? Like, they're not able to take in any no, information? No, they were not sequestered. What? They were not sequestered. The jurors were not sequestered. But, like, they're not able to take in, like, okay. They're so not they're supposed like, to. They were on the honor right. system. Yeah, I'm, I am certain that John the stealth juror was at home watching Nancy Grace every single <laughs> night. He's, like, texting her, like, hey. Yeah, like, I got the inside scoop, but shh, don't say anything till after the judgment. Oh, my God, this guy. (laughs) The jury says that they were all super committed to giving Scott a fair trial. I have my reasonable doubts about that. At least two more jurors get dismissed, and that's how Strawberry Shortcake gets on the jury. And not with her. All I can say is that she leapt to some wild conclusions. She came in. She walked in. They're already in deliberations. And she's like, 
hey, he's guilty. What are we even still doing here? Why are we even discussing this? He's guilty. Everybody put your little guilty vote in. Let's call it a day. Let's go. I would have lost my mind. Someone walks in on like the 12th hour and is bossing my ass around and she hadn't been here the whole time. Like, oh my God. And yeah. And so Gregory Jackson was the foreman. He was the only one on this whole jury that really, well, okay. There was maybe like a couple other people. We didn't, I didn't see interviews or hear from every single, all like 15 of the people that served on this jury heard from a lot of them. And there was only like three or four that really seemed like they wanted to give him a fair trial, maybe two or three, which really blows my mind because like, I'm just a nosy person and I would just want to go through all the information. Gregory Jackson was the foreman at the beginning. He was the most prepared juror. He had just stacks and stacks and stacks of notes. He was a doctor and a lawyer. And so the jury decided to vote him the foreman because he was the most prepared. So he was the one that's like, let's go through this logically and thoroughly. But the jurors, yeah, but the jurors did not want to discuss the same thing over and over and over. They're like, we've been here. We've done that. We're moving on. No. John, the worst juror of all time, even threatened him physically. According to like every juror on there, except for him, he's like, I like threaten the lawyer. I didn't threaten okay. him. Yeah. Well. So Gregory Jackson gets himself dismissed from the jury because he says <laughs> they're, they're all in there screaming like, and fighting. But I'm like, dude, you just went through seven months of this and you're going to like bail at the final hour. The one guy that wanted to go through the evidence was let go. And the guy who threatened him stayed. The guy who threatened him because Gregory wanted to look through the evidence. Yeah. Because he wanted to be methodical. So So this is why they're thinking there was like jury misconduct, right? No. This isn't even any part. Oh, no, not even. (laughs) No. Yeah. This is why I'm saying there's jury misconduct. And this John guy is a stealth juror, and I will die on that hill. I'll make it nice. Mm-hmm. Put flowers, plant <laughs> flowers, the, and have Stella there. I'll bring Trimble. Sniff your ass out. <laughs> Trimble's dead. Oh, Stella. oh my God. <laughs> we know, bitch. All right. The jury was instructed to begin all new deliberations when Gregory Jackson left, and Strawberry Shortcake was on the jury for nine hours when they reached their verdict of guilty. nine hours. Nine hours. Because she didn't need to deliberate. She knew exactly how she wanted to vote. There was this giant mob outside of the courthouse that had been there every day. And when the verdict was read, the crowd erupted in cheers. Just giant jubilation from this crowd. I think I saw a clip of that and it was, yeah. It's disturbing. Yeah. I don't care what side you're on. Like the justice piece, but the like celebration, I don't know. Yeah, it is icky. It's so icky. I would not want to be a part of that. His family was escorted out in front of this mob and they were screaming things at his mother. Like, I hope they fry your son. (gasps) Burn in hell. I know. Oh my God. That to me is what gives me nightmares. Like that literally gives me nightmares. That, that scene of his mother walking out and this crowd screaming at him. There were two whole at her screaming at her. I'm sorry. Yeah, screaming like, at I, his mother. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I feel, yeah. There were two whole weeks in between the guilty verdict and sentencing 
two weeks of just glee in the community and an expectation that they were going to give him death. And the crazy jury stories have just begun. Oh boy. Jurors went out to a bar with each other drinking and were heard saying, we're going to get Scott Peterson. They were also talking about getting a book deal and that they'd made a decision to give him the death penalty. A book deal? A book deal. Guess oh, who the juror was saying all that? John. It's John. 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 Tell yep. by your face. Yep. John. This was reported to the judge and the judge held a hearing, but the bartender that overheard all of that and had said something, when he came to the hearing, he pled the fifth for some reason. So John was allowed to stay on the jury. For some reason, because he was probably terrified because John probably threatened him. Maybe, but like this John guy has no power. I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, and Justin Falconer was dismissed on rumors, but John had so many issues. He's physically threatening a juror. He's talking about how they've already made their decision out at a bar and how he's going to get this book deal. But it seems like this jury was playing a game of survivor and just voting anyone who wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing off the island. Any juror who thought he wasn't guilty was removed from the jury for just ridiculous reasons. And of course, they gave Scott the death penalty. Luckily for Scott, he got the death penalty in California, who hasn't executed anyone since 2006, which was right around the time that he was convicted. So it's not like he knew that at the time. And these jurors became celebrities. Like I said, they're talking about book deals, all sorts of things. They're all very proud of themselves. And watching tapes of them from this time after the death sentence is disgusting. Like, it should be disgusting to anyone, regardless of what you believe of Scott's guilt. Strawberry Shortcake is up in front of all these cameras and mics calling Scott a jerk, saying, like, the one comment she has for him is, you look someone in the eye when they're talking to you, and then calls him an asshole. And it's like, my God, you just condemned this person to, to death. And you wanted to make eye contact? And you are standing in front of him and calling him obscene names? Like, and then it's just really disturbing. And then Mike is up there calling him Scotty. Just like really like patronizing this person that you literally have just murdered saying, well, it's just another day in paradise for Scott Peterson. Oh, and my favorite, Larry King had the new jury foreman on, the one that had replaced Gregory Jackson. Mm -hmm. And he just asked him like, what did Scott do? Like you found him guilty. What did he do? And the (laughs) jury... And the jury foreman couldn't answer the question. He was like, could you be more specific? And Larry King's like, no, you be more specific. (laughs) (laughs) And the jury foreman said, well, at some point he killed his wife and put her in a boat and dumped her in the San Francisco Bay. And Larry King asked how he thought Scott achieved this without a single witness seeing him. And the jury just, the juror just said, well, I think the crime occurred at home and the only witnesses are the cat and the dog and they're not commenting or they have oh, no comment. Mm, mm. I know, like real sarcastic. Ew. And I'm like, okay, he was at home maybe when he killed her, but what about when he put the boat at the, he put her in the boat and then put the boat in the water and then right. dumped her body. How do you explain nobody seeing him 
then, which is so or obvious. The 11 to- people that saw her walking the dog. Right. But it's so yeah. obvious to me. That's what Larry King was at. Well, but the juror didn't yeah. know about that because they weren't at trial. Oh, I keep forgetting that. I know. But um, it's obvious that that's what Larry King meant. Not like, how do you think he killed her without anybody seeing? And this juror yeah. is like, can you be more specific? Yeah. And like Larry King's basically saying, how were you so confident that you were able to convict him to the death, you know, the death penalty? Yes. But I think that's exactly like, what How are you so him? sure? Like mm-hmm. what evidence was, did you have that you were so confident? Right. Or just like, what did he do? Just tell me. Yeah. What did you convict him of? <laughs> you asked last time about who else could have done it. And I do think there are a few compelling alternate theories besides the burglary across the street. So the media portrayed Modesto as this like quiet, sleepy little town. But when I went into this case, the only thing I knew about Modesto was that that's where the Sons of Anarchy lived in the show, right outside Modesto. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not a sleepy little town. A detective of the documentary even said their motto for the town was murder, meth, and auto theft. (laughs) Oh. And another motto was... (laughs) Put that on a welcome sign. (laughs) Right, right. And another motto was the only place where no one can hear you scream. Like, wouldn't that Ooh. look great on the banner across yeah. town as you drive in? Yeah, shootings, I'm not moving there. No, shootings, drug deals. It was not a nice town. There are nicer areas, but the bad areas are really bad, and it's not a huge city. So Modesto is only about 44 square miles, the population about 200,000. So it's like slightly bigger than Pearland or Round Rock, which will mean nothing to anyone outside of Texas. Now, in this small area, between 1999 and 2002, so three years, one of those years includes the year that Lacey went missing, seven pregnant women disappeared from this area. Shut up. Three from Modesto and four within 80 miles of Modesto. (gasps) Wait. I'm sorry. (laughs) Come again? I know. I know. Like, you're telling me that, like, do people know that? Do people know that? Do, like, the law enforcement know that? Have you? Yes. Do you need to call that FBI number? No, they know. They know. Why? One of them was Evelyn Hernandez who washed up in the San Francisco Bay in the same condition as Lacey seven (gasps) months before Lacey disappeared. Same bay. Was she pregnant? condition. She was pregnant. No head, no limbs. And I think we can tell by her name why we know Lacey Peterson's and not Evelyn Hernandez's. So I want to talk about Evelyn for a minute because I think she deserves that. She was a legal immigrant who moved to the United States from El Salvador. She had a son named Alex. She was really excited to have another son who was going to be named Fernando. Alex is also still missing, and their case is still open. Oh. Police insist these cases are not connected, though. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Right. Well, they're obviously not connected because Scott did it. I'm not a (laughs) criminal. I literally taught kindergarten, and I know these things are related. I'm sure that it's at least a possibility, you know. Oh, my God. Like, are, you, are you kidding? It's a torso? Just, who's out mm-hmm. there just in the same bay seven months before? I can't believe. First of all, why didn't you tell me this? I don't know, like two hours ago. Well, because the compelling alternate theories go at the end. 
Okay, I gotta get through all the evidence. I gotta convince you first. <laughs> you could have told me that when I was over here, like, oh, the chief was killed the night before the pizza party. No, she was not. No, I know she was killed by whoever this person's out here doing this. <laughs> all right. So then there was Lourdes Avia. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Who has a terrifying story. She's mm-hmm. alive. The day Lacey went missing, she was eight months pregnant, and she said she saw a weird car parked outside her store for like 30 minutes staring at her. And she said the way they looked at her really scared her. Like, she said that they had the faces of killers, which yeah. obviously this is somebody recalling a, you know, traumatic incident. And Yeah, but different but than that's a face what you want to punch, though. Those different are from a separate. face you want to punch. Yeah, that's true. Not a douchebag, a killer. She saw one of them come into her store and she just knew she felt they were going to do something to her. So she locked herself in the back room, called Mm -hmm. the police, told the police what happened. The guys left and she is convinced they were looking for a pregnant woman to kidnap. She said she was traumatized for a really long time because she just knew that she could have been Lacey. Like she thinks it was these guys that when they couldn't get her – they went, saw Lacey maybe walking the dog. I don't know if they saw her walking the dog because the dog was back at home. And anyway, saw her, kidnapped her. And then one thing I didn't mention about Connor was that when he was Ugh. found, he had duct tape on him. What? And plastic wrapped around his neck. Okay. When, yeah. Okay, so that obviously occurred before. Right. So there's like, it wasn't like he came out in the water. Right. Because if you have duct tape on you and it was sticky duct tape, like Mm. if it had, if it had like come on him in the water, you'd think it was just like laying on you. It's not like placed across you. Right. Skin. There's also evidence that Connor could have been born alive and not expelled in the water. Like the prosecution says there were cuts. That makes no sense. (sighs) Right. There were cuts found on the body that a forensic pathologist has said are consistent with him being cut out of the body. And the baby's umbilical cord looked like it had probably been cut. It's possible all of this happened while he was in the water, but experts have said it's unlikely. I'm sure that you could find other experts to say, no, it's totally likely, you know? So it's just really hard when you have experts saying, two different things. I don't know if that's true about Connor, but it's it's possible, I think, that he was born alive or born uh, somehow, you know. Hmm. It's possible that this is what my nightmares will be made of. Yeah. Okay, so we mentioned in part one that Scott Peterson is back in the news because his death penalty sentence was overturned. This was because of that decision of the judge to dismiss any juror who personally disagreed with the death penalty without then asking them if they would be able to apply the law. And this is what the court said when they made the decision to overturn his death sentence. They said, prospective jurors whose views on capital punishment would impair their ability to follow the law could be dismissed as unqualified. But jurors could not be dismissed simply for having expressed opposition to the death penalty. Huh. The court did uphold his guilty verdict, but now, due to the jury misconduct of one strawberry shortcake, whose real name is Rochelle Neese, that is in question, too. 
She lied on her jury intake form. She said she's never been involved in any legal matters, but it turns out that when she was four and a half months pregnant, she filed an injunction against the baby's dad's girlfriend, saying she was fearing for her life and the life of her unborn child. The defense should have been able to know about this as, yeah, it can show a bias against a dad accused of killing his pregnant wife. 100%. But she lied on the form, so they didn't know. Will she get in trouble? Like, because all of this is now partly her fault. Well, I don't know if she'll, like, legally get in trouble. I'm not 100%. But, I mean, anybody that thinks Scott Peterson is guilty, I wouldn't want to be the juror that lied on her jury intake form and got his guilty conviction overturned. That's why you don't lie on those things. You can't lie on it. You will get found out. Yeah. Especially when he has a million-dollar lawyer. He's going to find Especially it. Especially when it's the biggest case in, like, all of the cases. Right. Like, this wasn't like, oh, no one's going to talk about this. Right. So this is jury misconduct. She says that the whole case was dropped, and that's why she didn't think about it. And that's why she, like, she said she didn't lie. She just didn't think about it when she was filling it out. Like, no, I haven't been involved in any legal issues. But the fact is that she had experience, which could have caused her to relate to Lacey while sitting in judgment of someone. And I do believe she was extremely biased against him. She referred to Connor only as little man. Like Mm. they said, what do you think was the hardest thing to hear? And she would be like, oh, anything talking about little man, you know, like it was a term of endearment to her, which to me shows, yeah, an emotional connection. You right here, you should not be sitting in judgment of somebody. Yeah, I know. That's that's an emotional attachment that someone in a position to have someone executed should not have. So to close us out here, I want to just say, because I think I remember someone saying, probably Nancy Grace, that Scott (laughs) is either guilty or he's the unluckiest guy in America. But when I'm looking at the evidence, I'm thinking on the contrary, apart from the guilty verdict... He lucked out in every possible way. So let's look at what would have had to happen for Scott to be guilty. First, he kills her at home, leaving no evidence on his body or in the home that this happened. Also, coming up with this whole story that's backed up by all this. He's able to set that whole thing up. What do you call it? Stage the whole thing. The receipts from the groceries, what she ate that morning, the Martha Stewart show. He's able to stage this whole thing that they did. They had this morning, loads her into the truck with no one seeing him. Then he takes his wife's body in the middle of the The day. The truck that also had no DNA evidence. Remember, Also left no DNA evidence, probably because she's wrapped in a tarp, you know, so slides that in. Tarp was never found. That never washed. uh, Anyways, missing tarp. Then he takes his wife's body in the middle of the day, dumps her in the bay attached to anchors with not a soul witnessing any of the activities without tipping the boat over, you know. Which we know that story. In a boat that he'd never been in before and didn't that know. Was a secret. Like, the secret boat that he'd never been in before. Then, didn't even know if it would go in salt water. But everything works perfectly. He's able to get her out, dump her without anything happening. Nobody sees him. Gets back. Then calls police to tell her that she's missing and then tells him, tells police where he'd been that day dumping her body and the police don't find her body or any witnesses to say they saw him. So he tells them exactly where he was and nobody sees him. 
So that has to work out for him. Then 27 search teams go looking for her. Nobody finds her. The person who did see him and talked to him at the marina didn't see a body in his boat. So all of this is working out for him so far. This is a whole lot of luck to me. Yeah. Then a whole bunch of witnesses who all independently saw the same thing would all have to be wrong. And someone else would have had to close their gate, but never come forward to say that they closed the gate. The burglary across the street would have to be a complete coincidence, which it it might as well be. All of that would have to happen. He would have to be the luckiest guy for all of that to work out and happen. And the only evidence be the bodies washing up four months later in the same place, about a mile away. Simultaneously, that's happening to all these other women too, that- Right. Oh yeah. And then also like all these other pregnant women. Now what needed to happen for him to be innocent? What unlikely thing needed to happen for him to be innocent? Someone had to watch the news, see Scott was fishing in the bay and go dump her body there. Yeah. I think that's what happened now. But people are like, that's so unlikely that they ignore everything else that's unlikely about him being innocent. It's mind-boggling. So I want to hear from everybody. What do you think of this case? Like, are you, is it driving you crazy like me? Are you convinced he's guilty? Are you, are you convinced he's innocent? Like, I want, I want to hear from the Scott Guilters. If you have listened to this episode and you are Scott is guilty, I need to hear from you because I want to know why. I want to know what you have. Do you have something that I don't have after I've done this dive into all this stuff? Like, what do you know that I don't know? If you're still thinking he's guilty. Don't act like, though, if someone doesn't email us at the Gmail, like, here's this piece of evidence, and it, like, totally throws a wrench (laughs) that you're going to not lose your damn mind. I will lose my damn mind. I will give an update, though. I I won't just, like, (laughs) throw it away like that detective. I want to know if he's guilty. I want – I want to know. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear what y'all think about the case. Uh, Email us at creeperspod at gmail.com with any feedback you have, what you think about the case. If this information managed to change your mind, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at creeperspod. And thank you so much to those of you that have left a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it more than you will ever know. If you like what you heard on this episode, please consider taking a minute to go onto Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It will really help us grow the podcast. You won't be wasting your time. Please help us. Be sure to subscribe so you'll have our next episode ready to go as soon as it drops when I'll tell MoGab the story of the Lululemon murders. This story is full of crazy twists and turns you won't see coming. Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.